This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay, and we have a great guest with us today, Sarah Murray, who's the founder and CEO of Curie, which makes natural and effective body care products for humans in motion. Sarah, super excited to have you on the podcast over here. I know you are a former VC turned founder now. Um, you also have a lot of other great experiences as well. So excited to talk to you about some of the things that you've learned from your VC roles that you're translating over and also a few other cool things that you're working on for your brand. But before we dive into all of that fun stuff, I want to pass the mic over to you if you want to give a quick little intro about yourself and uh, tell us a little bit more about what Curie does in your own words. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I've listened uh, to the podcast and really excited to share my story. Um, so I'm Sarah, founder and CEO of Curie. As you mentioned, I uh, previously worked in venture capital for about four and a half years before venturing out and starting Curie. Started it as a side hustle, um, worked for the first year totally as a, you know, part-time filling orders nights and weekends from my living room kind of thing and totally bootstrapped it. I started with one product, one SKU, which was our aluminum-free natural deodorant that took off, you know, reached six figures in revenue within the first year with zero marketing budget and just a one woman show. <laughs> so once we had kind of proved that we were onto something and we were tapping into a market that was really underserved, which was products with clean formulations that weren't where you didn't have to make a sacrifice when it came to efficacy. That was really what we were touching on. And so we expanded the product line. Now we have six products our deodorant stick spray. We have an amazing clay detox mask, hand sanitizer, and we are launching a new product in just a couple of weeks. Very cool. Um, and I know we're going to be talking a lot about that stuff over there, but I, I want to quickly ask, since you were like in the VC space, what kind of made you decide that you wanted to start an e-commerce brand? And, and how did you kind of get into what you're working on today? So I actually started my career as a CPA, um, got my CPA license right out of college, worked in public accounting, which I hated. <laughs> it was not the career for a social butterfly, I'll tell you that. Um, so worked in public accounting, and I think the most important thing I learned there is it really gave me a foundation in finance and accounting, and it gave me a really good work ethic. Public accountants work long, long, long hours. And so right out of school, I was working insane, insane hours and um, spent about a year and a half doing that and then wanted to get into venture capital, got a job um, doing accounting at a VC fund, a hot up and coming like VC fund in the Bay Area, and kind of had my sights set on being an investor. Started showing up, literally just appearing at pitch meetings, um, sitting down and, you know, the partners would be like, huh, what is Sarah from accounting doing here? But I just kind of sat there quietly listening to pitches and eventually worked up the confidence to start raising my hand and asking questions. And within 
eight months, um, earned myself a full-time role on the investment team. And that's kind of how I got my start in venture working on the investment side. So my job was sourcing investments, finding new deals um, for the fund. And then I eventually moved down to LA and joined a more consumer focused fund down here. And, you know, again, my job was just to find deals, figure out you know, what companies that we wanted to invest in, meet with them. So I got to meet with hundreds of entrepreneurs in the consumer space, early stage. And I think the biggest learning, you know, of course, I saw what worked and what didn't work and how to build a business, you know, really got a front row seat to that. But it also just made me realize, like, the only difference between an entrepreneur and everybody else is, like, they had the guts to go out and do it and build the company, you know, they had the idea and they had the guts to go do it. And so that really gave me a lot of confidence and encouragement. And I had really been like stewing on this idea of building a brand that was of course made with clean ingredients. I think that is just where the world is going in the direction the industry is going, but also that is focused on efficacy. I'm an athlete. I, you know, I sweat a lot. I needed products that worked. And I wasn't willing to make a sacrifice when it came to, you know, using cleaner natural products. I needed something that worked for me. And I knew, you know, most deodorants out there that I had tried that were natural or aluminum free didn't work. A lot of people were complaining about this as well. And so that is what I decided to go after. And starting Curie started with the deodorant because, you know, it was the obvious kind of low hanging fruit product, but really the broader vision is clean, effective body care. Like you said, for humans in motion, for people like me that are busy, we're active, we're sweating and we need products that work. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's uh, a really interesting like backstory on how you got to where you are today with your brand. Talking about like even just kind of working, I know you mentioned that it started out as a little bit of a side hustle. And then, you know, you've obviously developed it into your full-time role today. How did you really like get started on the business? Like in terms of like, hey, I need to obviously source the ingredients and like, I need to come up with the packaging and, and all of those things. Like, can you kind of walk us through like as much as you can share that kind of like early founding story for other founders that are potentially listening? When I started Curie, I bootstrapped it. I started I started the brand on $12,000 of my savings. So I saved up. I also knew that in order to make something that actually worked, I I, I wasn't going to make this in my kitchen. Like I wasn't going to stir together ingredients. That's what a lot of my competitors were doing. That was the story behind so many natural brands. And I was like, in order to make something better than what's out there, like I got to bring in some experts. So I actually just did some Googling, found a team of, you know, cosmetic formulators that are actually in the LA area, which is where I live and teamed up with them. I think we, I paid them like $500 for R&D. They were just excited about the project. And so teamed up with them and we actually worked for almost a year on our first formula took a lot longer. I think a lot of first-time founders kind of go in a little bit naive to like how how long of a process manufacturing a product is, especially a product like deodorant that people are using on their skin and on a very sensitive part of your skin. It takes a long time to get it right, and you have to do all this testing, make sure it's safe, make sure it's stable. 
So I think going into it, I was like, oh, this is going to take, you know, we're going to be launched in two months. But in reality, I think it took pretty much a full year from start to finish. Bootstrapped it, like I said, um, put $12,000 of my own savings into our first production run. All of that money went to product costs. So the cost of developing the product, like I said, I think that was 500 bucks. Our first production run, which our manu- we, we partnered with a contract manufacturer, they source all the ingredients for you. That cost is all kind of baked in. The only thing we had to source was the packaging. I found some, you know, you can find tons of packaging wholesalers out there with, again, a quick Google search. So I kind of just pulled it all together by doing a lot of Googling, talking to a lot of people, and just asking other founders for advice and introductions, and was able to get the company started pretty quickly once we got the once we got that first production run. I shipped every order myself. Um, my sister, who was also on maternity leave at the time, helped as well and shipped every order, wrote handwritten notes in the first thousand orders that went out. And one of the questions people always ask is like, how did you get customers? Like, how did you get your first thousand customers? And I relied in those early days a lot on social media. I set up our Instagram, told all my friends about it. I think I sent an email to like every person I know, like totally shameless, like people I hadn't talked to in 15 years were on this email, but I sent an email to every human I knew before we launched and was like, I'm launching this product. I want you to try it. Here's a code for, I think I gave everybody like 20% off. Please buy the product, use it and tell your friends about it. And I think that was really what like kickstarted things because a lot of them did that and shared it on social media. And I was really, really active on social media. And I was reaching out to influencers and asking them if we could gift them product. And that's really how it grew that first year. I didn't know how to do Facebook ads. I couldn't afford to pay anybody to do them for us. And so it was really just a very organic word of mouth friends telling friends and, you know, random influencers here and there posting about it. And we were able to get to, I think in the first year we hit six figures within, I want to say 10 or 11 months, just based on, based on that alone. That's awesome. And that's a great story that you have over there. I know you talked about, you know, some of that like early journey and finding manufacturers, finding like suppliers, um, even like the marketing and things like that. And obviously you've had experience in the VC space. Are there any sort of like learnings that you took from your experience, whether it was asking other founders questions or even other notes that you've taken that you've kind of like translated into how you run Curie today? Yeah, absolutely. I think a huge part of our success has been, um, I, I would attribute a huge part of our success to the network that I've built. And I think I had, you know, I had a decent network before, although a lot of the companies that we were investing in, a lot of the companies that I knew were consumer tech, not necessarily consumer brands, but I did have a few connections and definitely relied on those, um, the advice of those founders before I launched. I think one of the first pieces of advice that I received from another CPG founder was before we launched, he was like, 
don't overdo it. Just get the product out the door. Don't overdo it on, you know, getting the perfect packaging and the perfect website and making everything perfect. The first six months are going to be like your beta test, essentially. Like just get the product out there as quickly as you can and collect information and collect feedback from your customers and expect that after that first six months, you're going to probably want to change a lot of things. So don't like overdo it, like paying, you know, crazy tooling costs for custom packaging and paying a developer to make this gorgeous web, perfect website for you. Because that after the first six months, you're going to learn so much and you're going to want to change everything. And that was really good advice and totally how it happened. Like we launched and within a couple of months we realized like, Hey, we needed to bring the baking soda levels down in our, in our formula. It was giving some people irritation. So we were able to really quickly do that. We learned that the size of the product, it was too small. So it wasn't lasting long enough. So we like increased the fill and changed our packaging. We changed a bunch of things up on our website. Like we changed everything. And what Curie is today is very different very, very, very different from what Curie was two years ago. And I think that's advice that I I give everyone who's starting out is like, just get that product out there. It doesn't need to be perfect and don't spend too much money out the gate because you're going to, yeah, you want to be able to, because I didn't invest too much, like I designed our packaging myself. I designed our website myself. Like because I hadn't invested so much, I was able to take that feedback from our customers and actually make changes really quickly, which I'm really grateful for. But like I was saying, I think my network has been really instrumental to my success. Not only those early people that you know gave me advice like that, but also I've just grown such a great network, especially through Twitter. And I have tons of different founders that I'm swapping tips with all the time, catching up with on a monthly basis. I have group chats with founders. I have Slack groups with founders. So I think that is another piece of advice I would give anyone that's just starting out is start building a network, identify brands and founders that you really respect and reach out to them and form a relationship with them because I've learned so much from other founders. And I think a lot of people in this D2C space are so generous and understand the value of, you know, that kind of knowledge sharing that I have this amazing supportive network that I learn so much from and I apply a lot of a lot of learnings from as well. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trends exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more, all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D dot I-O slash podcast and look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. Yeah, and that's all great advice over there. I love how you talked about as those first six months kind of being that testing period to really figure out what works and doesn't work. I know you've been a founder for, you know, close to three years now, and I'm sure you've probably learned tons and tons of different skills, like talking about even those like first six months, potentially, and building your business. What are some of the 
biggest skills that you had to learn as a founder that really was stuff that like maybe you couldn't necessarily prepare for? Um, It was more like on the job training. I think one of the most important skills for a founder and especially a founder that like me that doesn't have a big team, we only have three people. So I think the most important skill for a founder early stage is problem solving, like being able to problem solve on the fly like that. I am every day solving problems. There are problems constantly like running a business is a pain in the ass. Like there's always things that are breaking every single day, no matter how hard you prepare, there's always left and right things being thrown at you, things going wrong, especially running a company right now in during COVID shipping freight logistics is a mess. And so problem solving is probably the most important skill and being able to quickly like digest information, ask the right questions and make a decision without like deliberating for days. Like you don't have time to deliberate for days. You know, just yesterday, our VP of operations came to me with a problem and I was like, all right, I asked a couple questions, like boom, 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 made a decision, moved on because we just, you don't have time when you're running a business and trying to grow and scale a company. You don't have time to deliberate and drag your feet. You really have to make decisions on the fly and learn how to get really good at that. So I would say problem solving is probably the best skill that I've developed. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's, I'm sure like part of that came naturally to me, but learning how to get to the bottom of things quickly and be super decisive was definitely kind of a muscle that I had to exercise over the last couple of years and get good at. I think another important skill for founders is also I don't know how to like articulate this, but I think in the early days, I used to get really, I'd focus too much on the wrong things and get really like sidetracked and focused on things that actually didn't really matter that much to our customer. And I started, I think within six to 12 months after launching, I started actually talking to our customers a lot more. And so realizing like this company, this business, like Curie, the brand, it's not about me and what I want. It's like, it's all like all that matters is what our customers want. Like it does not matter what my opinion is. It matters what my customers want and what their opinion is. So I started setting up conversations with our customers, um, I think about six months into the business and I still do it today. I try to talk to at least five to 10 customers every quarter. In the early days, I used to do coffee with customers um, and turned it into a whole content thing on our on our Instagram. But uh, now we, I just do phone calls and sometimes a Zoom call here and there. But I reach out to our customers, specifically our most loyal customers, hop on the phone with them for 15 minutes, offer them you know a discount code in exchange for their time. And I just ask them a ton of questions. I plan it really carefully with a goal, whether it's to learn about product features or to learn about, you know, what their buying habits are, where they're buying products, et cetera. Um, And so I kind of do these customer interviews and I've done them since the very beginning. And those have been really, really great at kind of prioritizing what we're focusing on and making sure that we're focusing on the right things. Yeah, that's awesome advice over there. And talking about, you know, 
you talking to customers, what are some of the questions um, that you ask your your customers when you talk to them? And, and maybe even like talking about what are some of the most impactful ones that you've asked? So this is just top of mind because I just, I think, tweeted yesterday about this. But we are launching a new product in a couple of weeks. It's our first non-deodorant SKU. It's more of like a body care product. And so because most of our products right now are very functional, you know, deodorant, hand sanitizer products, I've been struggling with like how to price this product because it's a premium product. It's really great ingredients, like 98% organic ingredients. But most of our products are priced in like the $12 to $15 range. And so I wasn't sure what to price the product at. It's also the kind of thing that if you look at the market for this product, there's a huge range of prices. Like if you bought this specific product at Target, it might be $10. If you bought it at Sephora, there's ones that are sold for like 60. This was something that, again, I, I decided to think about instead of pricing it at what I think is the right product or how to maximize our profits, I decided to go to our customers. So I sent out a survey to 100 customers and I used, I don't know how to pronounce it, Van, I, I just tweeted it, hold on. It's called the Van, Van Westorp method. It's a survey method to determine what the optimal price point is based on four questions that you ask in the survey. And the questions are, you know, at what price would you expect to buy this product? At what price would, would it be too, the price would be too low that I would think that the quality isn't good? At what price is it too high? And at what price would it be getting a little high that you have to think about it, but not too high? So you ask these four questions. They're on my Twitter they're way more precise than that. Um, and you leave them open, leave them open-ended and let people fill in the prices. And then you graph it. And it tells you exactly, the graph gives you a range of exactly what your customers would be willing to purchase the product for. And so that is an example of like, it ended up being totally different than what we were going to price the product at. And I'm so grateful that we decided to ask our customers because ultimately, that's the only opinion that matters. Like, all I care about is whether or not my customers are going to be happy. And I didn't want to go out there, you know, with a product that was too cheap or too expensive. And I think we got it just right because we just went out and asked the people who would be buying it, which makes such logical sense. But um, that was really something that was a learning along the way of just constantly remembering, like, who we're here for. Very cool. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to to link to that um, so people can check it out. It's so cool. I told a couple of my founder, like the founders in my my little like founder group chat about it, and they also used it. And we've all been like geeking out over <laughs> the data from these surveys because it's really, really insightful. Like you realize, wow, okay, like I was totally way off. My customers are actually you know, more price sensitive or less price sensitive than I thought. So it's a really great exercise for anyone that is launching a new product and isn't really sure where they want to price it at. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely something to check out over there. I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, that new product you are launching as well. I'm not telling you what it is, but. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to tell us what it is, um, but without, without revealing what the product was, can you kind of talk about like what made you, and I know you said it's not like 
similar to what you're selling right now? It's something that's a little bit different. Like what, what made you kind of decide like this is like the right time to launch? And then if you can share about how you're kind of approaching the launch as well, potentially with us, that would be awesome. Yeah. So one of the learnings, you know, in the first year of business for us was that customers really loved our scents. So we, I was really intentional about our fragrances because I didn't want just like, I felt, I felt like a lot of the natural deodorants and natural products out there had like the most basic boring fragrances. (laughs) It was always like, you know, violet or not violet, lavender, or cedar, or it was really like kind of, you know, obvious natural sounding ingredients um, for the fragrances. And I was like, I want to do something a little different. I want them to be special. I want our scents to, when you're putting on your deodorant, to just have it add a little bit of joy to your day when you put it on. That was my goal. And so I worked with a fragrance house um, to develop our scents for us. They're all clean and they're all proprietary to us. They're honestly incredible. Uh, We have a white tea, an orange neroli, and a grapefruit cassis, our three signature scents right now. We will be coming out with more. Stay tuned. But um, those are our three three signature scents. And when I developed them, like I said, I just wanted the deodorant to be more of an experience. I wanted it to be something that you really loved when you would get a whiff of it throughout your day. And so um, when we launched really quickly, like started to get feedback from people that they loved the scents and people were always asking us to make products that they could, they wanted to use on their full body basically. So people would ask for body wash, body lotion, like body spray. They wanted the scents and everything. And so that's kind of driven, again, going back to our customers, like truly driving the business. Like that is another example where people were asking for these, for more body care products in our signature sense. And so we started to develop those. We came out with our deodorant spray, which is like an all over body spray, came out with our hand sanitizer. And now we're about to come out with three new body care products that are, um, the first one, like I said, is coming out in a couple of weeks. And really the focus is continuing, you know, on the success of the deodorants and of, and the popularity around our signature scents and building a line of products around that. So kind of think of, you know, Bath and Body Works, Bath and Body Works has their like signature scents and they have all these products. That's really kind of what the, the longer term vision is for Curie is to have a line of our signature scents and incredible products that you can buy in all of your favorite, favorite scents. That's awesome. And I guess it really connects back to talking about, you know, your customers wanting more products in different variations and, and things like that ultimately probably comes back to the fact that you have spent so much time and energy in making sure that, you know, the products that you are currently selling are really, really good products. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the most important thing is no one's going to want to buy your products if they're not good. And especially if you're selling. So for us, deodorant is a a repeat product, right? You buy deodorant. If it works for you, you're going to repurchase deodorant every two to three months. And so we've seen incredible, like our repeat purchase rate is incredible. Our customers love our products. They want to buy more. 
every time we have launched new products like the hand sanitizer and the spray, people have purchased, you know, existing customers have purchased those. And so when, when thinking about these new products, I have been pretty deliberate around thinking about how customers engage with our brands currently and how we could easily slot in additional products that would add to their experience. So when it comes to deodorant, like I said, you're ordering every two to three months. What other products are you consistently buying and consistently using that you could easily you know, add on to your order? And so that's how we're thinking about it and trying to make sure everything is packaged right and sized right in terms of, you know, fill quantity, fill like ounces so that you're able to go to curiebod.com every three months and add all your favorite body care products. This message comes from Wix e-commerce, the professional platform that enables entrepreneurs all over the world to create and run their online store and grow their e-commerce business. If you want to sell online, make sure you stand out. Go to Wix e-commerce and create an online store that will grab shoppers' attention. Build a state-of-the-art storefront, showcase your product with striking product pages, and sell subscriptions. Go global and display prices in local currencies. Boost your sales by offering instant coupons using the live chat. Streamline your checkout process with automated shipping fees and sales tax calculation. Manage your inventory and track your sales from one convenient dashboard. Analyze your comprehensive sales and traffic reports. Check out these and more must-have e-commerce features for sellers who mean business. Go to wix.com slash e-commerce today and join over 700,000 active stores selling worldwide with Wix e-commerce. Yeah, for sure. One other thing I want to talk about, you know, we are coming towards the end of the podcast, but I definitely want to hit on this because you recently just tweeted about it and shared it out that Curie is launching QR codes in SoulCycle locker rooms. So I want to talk about that for a, a quick second. How did that kind of idea come about? And obviously like QR codes are getting very popular now. People are using them for like menus. Um, now you're using them in e-commerce. Um, and what are your kind of like thoughts about QR codes um, and their effectiveness as well? Yeah, I'm a big fan of QR codes. We just launched in SoulCycle yesterday, which was really exciting. That was actually a, a year coming. Like we were supposed to launch April 15th, 2020, which obviously got pushed because of COVID. And so now it's been a year that I've been waiting to make this announcement and been so excited about it. And it's really exciting. It's finally, finally real. But we launched our spray deodorant in SoulCycle. We're also in a, about 150 other fitness studios around LA, New York, and San Francisco. And the spray deodorant is unique in that it's shareable. So you can put it in the locker room and people can use it, whereas like a stick it's not hygienic to share. So this spray deodorant, you know, using fitness studios and like offline spaces as an acquisition channel has been something that's been in my head since, since honestly, like 2019. We, we did a pilot with five studios in 2019, put the spray deodorant and tested, you know, let's see if people use it in the studio for free, if we can convert them to customers. So back when we did this pilot in 2019, which was super effective, we were using SMS to convert people. So we had signage that said, you know, text this code to this phone number to purchase, which was effective, but 
I just wanted to reduce the friction as much as possible. Like when you're in a studio, in a locker room, getting ready for work after a sweaty soul cycle class, you're not going to want to sit there and like check out and put your credit card information in and your address and all of that. And so the more friction, the less likely we are to convert people to customers. And so QR codes came around, I think kind of blew up during COVID. And I was like, what if we use QR codes that you can quickly scan and check out instantly and found um, this company that was doing QR codes, instant checkout called Batch um, Startup just, I think, launched a couple of months ago. And they're doing exactly that. You scan the QR code and boom, checkout window pops up, pre-populated. If you have Apple Pay, your address is there. You can pay with Apple Pay and you just hit your you know button on your phone twice and boom, you're done. And so we were really excited about that and uh, now have those those batch QR codes in all of our fitness studios. It's too early to tell though. I it's been a day. So <laughs> ask me, ask me in a couple of weeks how it's going, but I'm pretty confident that QR codes are probably the lowest friction way to convert offline testers into online customers. Very cool. We might have to bring you back on the podcast uh, maybe in a few months to see how it goes. But Sarah, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast over here. It's been super awesome having you. I know we've covered a lot of different stuff, a lot of great advice over here. Before I do let you go um, and, and we wrap up the podcast over here, I want to pass the mic over to you one last time. Uh, can you kind of tell us, uh, we obviously know you're launching a new product soon, but what else is next for Curie and where can people learn more and possibly even connect with you also? Yeah. So um, what's next for Curie is more products. That's really our goal is, is launching more products, broadening into the you know personal care space, some new scents, and continuing to grow and scale the brand. Um, best way you can support me is by going to our website, curiebot.com, purchasing our products and sharing with your friends. And you can find us on Instagram at curiebod. Curiebot is our handle, I think, on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. And then um, me personally, my my Twitter handle is that's amore with underscores. I've been pretty active on Twitter this week, but I'm pretty inconsistent on Twitter. <laughs> I'm a pretty inconsistent Twitter follow. When I'm busy, I'll be like completely silent for a month. And then all of a sudden, I'll be like, poke my head up and tweet for a couple of days and then go silent again. So follow CurieBot. <laughs> awesome. Well, when you do tweet, there are a lot of good insights over there. So anyone that's listening, Sarah is definitely worth a follow on Twitter. But Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I know I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners did as well. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to drop a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you next time on the DTC pod. Thanks again for joining us, Sarah. Thank you. This is so fun. Awesome.